Welcome, welcome, welcome to Storytime with Tipsy Tennis. In this new series, I am going to be giving an overview of popular tennis books along with some thoughts about it. For the very first episode, I would like to talk about probably the most famous tennis book there is out there, and that is none other than Open by Andre Agassi. Open is a memoir by tennis legend Andre Agassi that takes the readers on a journey through both on and off the court. Agassi's writing is engaging, witty, and emotional, offering unique insight into the world of professional tennis and pressures that come with it. But Open is not just a book about tennis. It's a book about family, friendship, and the human experience. Agassi opens with this passage, the morning before he plays Marcos Bagdadis in the second round of the U.S. Open. I open my eyes and I don't know where I am or who I am. Not all that unusual. I've spent half my life not knowing. Still, this feels different. This confusion is more frightening, more total. I look up. I'm lying on the floor beside the bed. I remember now. I move from the bed to the floor in the middle of the night. I do that most nights. Better for my back. Too many hours on a soft mattress causes agony. I count to three, then start the long, difficult process of standing up. With a cough, a groan, I roll onto my side, then curl into the fetal position, then flip over on my stomach. Now I wait and wait for the blood to start pumping. I'm a young man, relatively speaking, 36, but I wake up as if I'm 96. After three decades of sprinting, stopping on a dime, jumping high, and landing hard, my body no longer feels like my body, especially in the morning. Consequently, my mind doesn't feel like my mind. Upon opening my eyes, I'm a stranger to myself, and while, again, this isn't new, in the mornings it's more pronounced. I run quickly to get through the basic facts. My name is Andre Agassi. My wife's name is Stephanie Graff. We have two children, a son and a daughter, three and five. We live in Las Vegas, Nevada, but currently reside in a suite at the Four Seasons Hotel in New York City because I'm playing the 2006 U.S. Open, my last U.S. Open. In fact, my last tournament ever. I play tennis for a living, even though I hate tennis, hate it with a dark and secret passion, and always have. As this last piece of identity falls into place, I slid to my knees, and in a whisper I say, Please let this be over. Then, I'm not ready for it to be over. Agassi ended up winning this match in a thrilling five-set match where Baghdadis started cramping late into the fifth set. Agassi writes, Moments later, something makes me turn back at Baghdadis. He's smiling at me. Happy or nervous? Maybe both. I smile back. I hear my name coming from the TV. I turn my head. Highlights from the match. The first two sets, so misleadingly easy. The third, Baghdad is starting to believe. The fourth, a knife fight. The fifth, the never-ending ninth game. Some of the best tennis I've ever played. Some of the best tennis I've ever seen. The commentators call it a classic. At this point, Agassi is laying in the locker room of Arthur Ashe, waiting for the physio to come. And he also writes, At last, I let my mind go where I wanted to go. I can't stop it anymore. No longer asking politely, my mind is now forcibly spinning me into the past. And because my mind notes and records the slightest details, I see everything with a bright, startling clarity. Every setback, victory, rivalry, tantrum, paycheck, girlfriend, betrayal, reporter, wife, 
children, outfit, fan letter, grudge match, and crying jag. As if a second TV above me were showing highlights from the last 29 years, it all flies past in a high-def world. People often ask what it's like, the tennis life, and I can never think of how to describe it, but that word comes closest. More than anything else, it's a wrenching, thrilling, horrible, astonishing world. It even exerts a faint centrifugal force, which I've spent three decades fighting. Now, lying on my back under Arthur Ashe Stadium, holding hands with a vanquished opponent and waiting for someone to come help us, I do the only thing I can do. I stop fighting. I just close my eyes and watch. I feel like Agassi really captivates the reader through the rawness in which he writes about these experiences. And it's also quite interesting how he starts the book with the second to last match that he had ever played. The book continues with Agassi's early life in Las Vegas, where he was raised by his father, Mike. Mike used to be a former Olympic boxer who was determined to turn his son into a superstar. He built a tennis court in the backyard and coached Agassi relentlessly, often using unorthodox methods like hitting tennis balls at him from a machine while he stood in a dumpster. Agassi describes his childhood as lonely and isolated, with the only real friends being the tennis players that he competed against. He was rebellious and a stubborn child and constantly pushing against his father's authority and struggling to find his place in this world. And I think that's something that a lot of tennis players can relate to, especially the ones being forced into playing tennis. You see nowadays a lot of players are being pushed into it at a very young age, you know, precisely like with Agassi. I'm sure many competitive tennis players can attest to this, that when you decide to play, and this is not only for tennis, but any sport, really, it can strip the adolescence of children. And we really see that throughout Agassi's book. Despite his difficult upbringings, Agassi quickly rose through the ranks as a junior and turned professional at the age of 16. He quickly became known for his powerful ground strokes, flashy outfits, and outspoken personality. He also developed a reputation as a bad boy of tennis, frequently getting into arguments with umpires and players and pushing the limits of the sport's rules and etiquette. That sounds familiar. Agassi's professional career was filled with ups and downs. He won multiple Grand Slams, including French Open, Wimbledon, and U.S. Open, and became one of the most recognizable and popular athletes in the world. But he also struggled with injuries, depression, and a sense of disillusionment with the sport he had dedicated his life to. Agassi describes winning his first Grand Slam title at the 1992 Wimbledon Championships as one of the most emotional moments of his career. He had previously struggled to perform well on grass and had been written off by many critics as a player who couldn't win on this surface. But Agassi defied the expectations and made it to the finals where he played Goran Ivanisevic. The match was tense and grueling affair with both players battling back and forth. Agassi eventually won in five sets, and he describes a moment of victory as, quote, flood of emotions. He writes that he was overwhelmed by a sense of relief, joy, and gratitude. He also writes that he was grateful for the support of his team, particularly his coach at the time, Brad Gilbert, who had helped him develop a strategy for playing on grass. Throughout Open, 
Agassiz's writing is witty and engaging. He has a gift for storytelling and fills the book with fascinating anecdotes and details about his life and career. For example, he describes how he used to wear a wig during his matches to cover up his baldness, a fact that shocked many fans and opponents. Andre Agassi writes extensively about his relationship with Steffi Graf, who he would later marry in 2001. Agassi first met Graf in 1990, where they were both playing the French Open. He writes that he was immediately struck by her beauty and her quiet intensity on the court. The two would go on to become good friends and eventually started dating in the late 1990s. Agassi writes that he was attracted to Graf's intelligence, wit, and down-to-earth personality. He also describes her as a perfectionist and a workhorse on the court, someone who always gave 100% in every match. Agassi and Graf's relationship is a major theme throughout Open. He writes about the challenges of maintaining a long-distance relationship while they were both competing on the professional tennis circuit. He also describes the joy he felt when they were able to spend time together, whether it was traveling to tournaments or simply spending time at home. We've seen it when uh, tennis players date other tennis players. I believe uh, Hewitt and Sam Stozer, they were married for a little bit, but that didn't really work out. Uh, Fonini is married to Flavia Panetta, which is working out. And it's always interesting to see two tennis players date because you would think, oh, they have so much in common. They'll make a great couple. But what you don't really understand is the independent dynamics of it. I mean, Agassi brings up the long distance part of it as well. And it doesn't, two tennis players don't always match. So if you're thinking about dating, you know, that hot chick at your tennis club, you should still probably do it because you're not a professional tennis player and you guys can get along just fine. But if you are a t- professional tennis player, it could be tricky sometimes. A memorable passage Agassi writes is about the day that he proposed to Graf in the mountains of California. He describes the nervousness he felt leading up to the proposal and the overwhelming sense of relief and joy when she finally said yes. Overall, Agassi's portrayal in Graf and Open is one of deep admiration and respect. He writes about her as a fellow competitor and as a life partner, highlighting her many strengths, both on and off the court. Their relationship was a major part of Agassi's story and is a testament to the power of love and support in achieving one's goals. Agassi also writes extensively about his partnership with Oakley and the famous Images Everything ad campaign. He discusses how the partnership came about, the impact that had in his career, and the backlash he faced from some critics. Agassi was initially hesitant to sign on with Oakley as he was concerned about being seen too flashy or image conscious. However, he ultimately was convinced by the company's commitment to the innovation and quality as well as their willingness to work with him to create a more subtle, understated look. The Image is Everything ad campaign, which featured Agassi in a bright colored tank top and denim uh, shorts, became a a sensation overnight. The ads were everywhere and Agassi quickly became one of the most recognizable and talked about figures in sports. Agassi himself acknowledged the controversy surrounding the campaign in Open. He writes that while he was proud of the work that he did with Oakley, 
He also understood the criticisms that were leveled against him. He admits that the ads were not entirely representative of who he was as a person or player, but that they were a necessary part of his evolution as a public figure. Ultimately, Agassiz's partnership with Oakley and the Image is Everything campaign helped to establish him as one of the most iconic and marketable athletes in his generation. It also paved the way for other players to explore new ways of expressing themselves and their personal brands. While the campaign may have been controversial at the time, it remains a fascinating and enduring chapter in Agassiz's remarkable career. Another interesting aspect of the book is Agassiz's relationship with his rivals on the court, particularly Pete Sampras. Agassiz and Sampras had a fierce and often tense competition over the years, but they had a surprisingly large amount of respect for each other. Agassiz and Sampras played each other 34 times over the course of their careers, with Sampras coming out on top in most of their matches. Despite their intense rivalry, Agassiz writes that he has a deep respect for Sampras both as a player and as a person. He describes Sampras as a tough competitor who was always focused and determined on the court. He also writes about several several memorable moments that he shared with Sampras over the years. Agassiz writes about the first time he played Sampras at a tournament in Florida when they were both teenagers. He described the match as a slugfest, with both players hitting powerful shots and showing off their skills. Sampras won the match, but Agassiz says that he knew from that moment that he had a formidable opponent. Agassiz and Sampras played each other in the quarterfinals of the 2001 US Open in what would turn out to be their final meeting on the court. Agassiz writes that he was nervous going into the match, knowing that this could be the last time that they would ever play. The two played a memorable match that went to a tiebreaker in the fourth set, but with Sampras ultimately coming out on top. Another relationship that I want to highlight in Agassiz's career is his relationship with his trainer, Gil Reyes. These guys were the epitome of what a dynamic duo should be. Agassi and Reyes first met in the 1990s when Agassi was struggling with injuries and looking for a new training regimen. Reyes was working as a strength and conditioning coach at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas at the time and had already earned a reputation as one of the best in the business. Agassi was initially skeptical of Reyes's methods, which focused on functional fitness and injury prevention rather than a traditional weightlifting and cardio. However, I want to really highlight the impact that Reyes had on Agassi as he became a close friend and a mentor for him. Agassi writes about the many hours they spent together talking about life, love, the pursuit of excellence, biddies. <laughs> he credits Reyes with helping him to become not just a better tennis player, but a better person as well. A really awesome passage I want to share with you guys from the book is Agassi describing driving with Gil in their Corvette, and he writes, Gil's favorite thing was driving my Corvette. The car had a T-top, and on a hot summer day, we'd go for a spin. I'd sit shotgun while he played DJ, popping in one cassette after another. We'd talk about everything and nothing, sometimes deep into the night. With the windows down and the wind in our hair, it felt like we could go anywhere and do anything. It was just two guys in a car cruising down the highway. But it was more than that. It was a bond, a friendship that went beyond tennis or training or even winning. It was about two people who cared about each other, who respected each other, 
who saw something in each other that no one else did. It was about trust and loyalty and love. I'd have to say it's quite inspiring the way Agassiz writes so open and honest about little moments in his life like that. Agassiz expresses true vulnerability throughout his book like this, which, at least from my experience, I've never felt so real and connected to any of the other players on tour, which is precisely the reason why this book helped me out when I was a junior, to hear about the struggles that some of these other players face that are not necessarily on the court. And Agassiz really gives us the opportunity to look at him for the person that he is, rather than the person we want him to be, or even the player we want him to be. I encourage all of you who are listening to go out and read this book. The last thing I'm going to leave you with are Agassiz's final words when he retired on Arthur Ashe Stadium at the U.S. Open, losing to Benjamin Becker. He writes, Becker takes me out in four sets. I can feel the tape of the finish line snap cleanly across my chest. U.S. Open officials let me say a few words to the fans in the crowds and at home before heading into the locker room. I know exactly what I want to say. I've known for years, but it still takes me a few moments to find my voice. Ladies and gentlemen, Andre Agassi! Andre wants to say a few words. said I lost today, but what the scoreboard doesn't say is what it is I have found. And over the last 21 years, I have found loyalty. You have pulled for me on the court and also in life. I have found inspiration. You have willed me to succeed sometimes even in my lowest moments. And I have found generosity. You have given me your shoulders to stand on, to reach for my dreams, dreams I could have never reached without you. Over the last 21 years, I have found you, and I will take you and the memory of you with me for the rest of my life. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Storytime with Tipsy Tennis. I am going to be breaking down a whole bunch of books, so please stay tuned and also reach out to me if there's any books that you would like me to go over. As I said before, I encourage everybody to read this book. It is written in such a compelling way and he writes it in such a way that it is very easy to read. It's quite conversational. That's it for this episode. If you haven't followed me yet, please do at Tipsy Tennis Podcast. And until next time, my friends, stay tipsy.